Now, I don't know about you, but I find American politics uh, fascinating. And um, it's not just because of characters like Donald Trump and um, the crazy things he says, but it's actually um, the crowds that are involved. You remember the general election here um, a few months ago, and about as exciting as it got was when um, Nigel Farage went up to Scotland and got heckled and I think probably a few eggs and flour thrown at him. But in America, um, even when it's quite a local, kind of lo relatively low-key event, they, t they seem to get thousands of people coming. The crowds are enormous. People get so into it. And I think being a kind of slightly reserved uh, Brit myself, um, I find that kind of amazing. Um, but I do love it. I love that about Americans. I love that they're so enthusiastic. And as we get to our passage here in uh, Matthew chapter 8, a similar thing has been happening with Jesus. He's been getting more and more popular. And so um, as we come to this story of Jesus getting into the boat, going out onto the lake, he's actually doing that because the crowd around him has got so big and he wants to escape from them. If you were here last week, you'll remember that what um, Philip said, one of the things he said last week, was that what Jesus wants is followers not just spectators. And I thought that was a really good point. And it actually tees us up really nicely for Jesus calming the storm. Because our actual passage, as, as we had it read by Brian, is from verse 23. But if you just cast your eye back over the preceding few verses, um, from 18 to 22... Um, as Jesus is trying to move away from the big crowd, he gets approached by um, two people who speak to him. And the first is a teacher of the law who, who says to him, um, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus doesn't say, um, okay. Uh, he doesn't kind of say yes or no. He just says, I don't have a home. I'm a wanderer. And I think the implication is, would you be able to put up with that? And then a disciple says to him, Lord, uh, first, let me go and bury my father. That would be pretty important, wouldn't it? Um, I've got some important duty to do at home, and then I'm right there with you. And Jesus says, follow me now. Let the dead bury their own dead. And what he means is, I'm here for the living. I'm on an urgent mission. If you want to follow me, come now. And he doesn't really sell it at this stage, does he? There's nothing that says, this is why it's going to be so good to follow me. This is why it makes sense. And I think that's why the prosperity gospel that affects so much of um, the developing world is so dangerous. It would be such a joke if it wasn't so serious. It's because um, in the Bible, we're never promised you know, good times of prosperity and health and wealth, I think at least now. The Bible doesn't promise us, if we're Christians, carefree or illness-free or disappointment-free lives. And if you're here this uh, morning, uh, perhaps you're new here or just visiting, it's great to have you with us. Perhaps you've been a while and at the moment you're just investigating. Uh, you're looking on at Jesus from afar, uh, hearing some talks here, maybe doing an Alpha course. Um, well, I think the hard news I've got for you this morning is that becoming a Christian won't make your life any easier because following Jesus is tough. And that's our first point. Following Jesus is tough. 
Um, it was at their 12-week uh, scan when um, some friends of ours who are happily pregnant after a while of trying um, got some very, very uh, sad news that their developing baby had something called limb-body-wall complex, uh, which meant that as the baby grew in um, its mother's tummy, uh, the uh, abdomen of the baby and the legs wouldn't properly form. Um, and what it would mean that the baby would grow, uh, but the um, major organs would grow outside of the body. And so um, if the baby was carried to full term, um, then it wouldn't survive more than a few minutes. And as you'd expect, um, most of the doctors they saw told them that um, they must have an abortion because uh, the baby wouldn't live, as I say, more than a few minutes upon um, being born. But my friends were... Christians, and they believe that the Bible um, says that God is responsible for um, bringing life, and even for that developing baby, with, with all its kind of problems, that God was in charge of that situation, and they decided that they would keep the baby and carry him till full term. But it was a terribly, terribly hard time. Um, I remember um, praying with them uh, as they were kind of five or six months pregnant. And um, there was such a sadness mixed with the joy of being pregnant and um, of the mother feeling the baby growing inside her. Um, And it was so tough. And it must have been times, I think, during the pregnancy when um, having having the abortion um, would have made things easier. Um, And she did carry... Uh, baby Joshua to full term and he was um, born and they cuddled him for four or five minutes um, for the time he lived on earth. Following Jesus can be really tough. And um, in Matthew chapter 8, I think verse 23 should almost be a surprise that as Jesus gets into the boat to escape the crowd, actually the disciples do follow him. They've heard what he said, it's going to be like, but they do follow him. And we'll think about exactly why they did um, in just a few minutes. But they were about to get a taste of just how tough it could be. Look at verse uh, 24. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake or the sea so that the waves swept over the boat. They're on the Sea of Galilee, I think, um, which uh, several of the disciples would have known and um, indeed fished on. Some of them were experienced fishermen, so they'd have been used to these storms um, that kind of came down onto the uh, sea there. The, um, it's called a lake here, but it was, I think, eight, eight miles by 13 miles uh, long. And there could be some quite um, ferocious storms as the uh, wind came, comes down from the mountains around the lake. And the fishermen and the disciples... They think they're going to drown. Well, I wonder how you would have felt if you put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Um, Pretend it's like a film and you get that moment we have in films where there's, uh, just before the main point of action or before death, uh, time slows down and there's that uh, time for clarity of um, being able to think clearly about, you know, perhaps just what brought you to this situation. What would you have thought, I wonder? Why on earth did we get into the boat, probably? Why didn't we carry on with life before as it was to save ourselves from this nightmare? One of my heroes, uh, Christian heroes, is a man um, called Jim Elliot, he was called. 
Um, and he was one of five young American men who went to evangelize a remote tribe uh, called the Orca Indians uh, in, in the rainforest in Ecuador. And um, he went with a number of other Americans. And uh, within, I think, three or four years of him arriving in Ecuador, he and his four friends uh, were murdered uh, by the very tribesmen that they were trying to reach with the love of Jesus. And before he left for Ecuador, and no doubt on the back of people telling him, you could be a really great, a useful guy back here in America. You could be a really good church leader. Or don't you know how dangerous it's going to be if you go over there? He wrote in his journal these great words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, from a Christian perspective, uh, what Jim Elliot did made sense. And he died at 28 and left uh, a wife and a young child, but went to be with Jesus in glory. But of course, we don't need to just think about suffering um, that's directly linked to being a Christian. I I think we can have in mind, actually, that just being a Christian means we're not going to avoid any of the kind of sufferings that other people have, that Jesus isn't going to kind of navigate us around those storms. And in fact, I think sometimes take us straight into them. We're not going to miss out on um, sadness, on, on, on death, on illness, on angst or uncertainty or doubt, or even depression. Following Jesus can be really tough. But for some of us, it might not be at the moment. Um, As I say, some of us might still be spectators. We might still be uh, on the land. Um, Perhaps others of us are in the boat, but at the moment, the sea is flat and the winds are light. And so my question to, to you and to myself is, are we ready for it? Are we ready to stick with Jesus when things get difficult? I was on a happy family holiday um, five or six years ago, and um, I've got quite a big family. Uh, Three brothers and a sister and various wives and children were there again. And my um, father, who's a Christian, um, sat us down one evening, and we had a quiet time together where he read a passage from the Bible. And and he kind of said, you know, things are very good at the moment, and um, this is a really great, happy family time, but we're not promised that that's always going to be the case. In fact, we're promised we're going to have some tough times. Are you ready for them? Stick with Jesus. But some of us will be um, having those tough times right now. You know, perhaps a family member's died or is ill. You can't feel God close to you. He doesn't seem to be making things any easier for you. You're wondering if it's all worthwhile. Well, please listen on, because the good news is coming. And our second point is this. Jesus is the one we need by our side. During her pregnancy, my friend used to send out emails um, every two or three weeks, just kind of giving updates uh, about the baby as he grew and um, about the various appointments they'd had and everything else. And I think without fail, um, every email she sent, along with things to pray for, were reasons she was giving thanks and reasons she was praising God. And um, 
the best example of, uh, of that thankfulness was um, when baby Joshua's father stood up um, at his Thanksgiving service two weeks after he died and addressed um, what was a really packed church. And um, he, he spoke of his pride and his awe of uh, being a father, being able to hold his uh, baby son, even though it was just a few minutes, and how he was so grateful to God for giving him that time, how he was so thankful that he, he could see God had been with uh, his wife and him through everything. And it was, it was an incredible, incredible witness. Back to, back to the boat. And Jesus is woken up. I don't know how he was asleep, but he was, and he's woken up. And the first thing he doesn't say, he doesn't, sto- he doesn't calm the storm as the first thing he does. No, the first people he talks to are his followers. And he says to them, why are you so afraid, you of little faith? And I'm pretty sure he doesn't mean, don't you realize I wouldn't let any harm come to you? I don't think he means that. I think he means, don't you yet understand who I am? Don't you yet understand who I am? See, there's a progression leading up to this time that if we'd read uh, all of Matthew up to now, we'd see. Jesus has given the great sermon on the mount most of us will have heard of. And at the end of it, we're told that people were astonished. And they were astonished because Jesus had taught as one with authority. And then he heals people. We see he's got authority over sickness. He's got authority to drive out demons. And he's got authority to um, make the spiritually unclean clean. That's why the disciples had followed Jesus into the boat. They'd seen what he was like. They'd seen some evidence. They thought he was worth making sacrifices. But they didn't yet know who he was. They didn't know he was God. That this man beside them in the boat, this Jesus of Nazareth, was not just a man. He was God. I was telling Philip earlier, I, if your parents, you'll probably be slightly similar to me. I can't even make my daughter listen to me. Uh, last night she came into our room at about 10 past one was the first time. And between uh, 10 past one and about 20 past three, she came in six times, um, despite me commanding her in no uncertain terms to go back to bed and to go to sleep. I know some people can't even make their dogs pay attention to them. Um, but when Jesus speaks, things happen. And we're supposed to have in mind, I think, be transported back to the creation story when God speaks and he brings uh, the heavens and the earth into being. Let there be light. Let there be land. Let there be sea. And it happened. And when Jesus speaks, the sea goes flat calm. The wind stops blowing. And verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? even the winds and the waves obey him. And I think they had, by this point, a good clue that it wasn't just a man. I think they'd have known their Old Testament, and um, they would have known Psalm 65, which I'll read you a few verses from, from verse 5, Psalm 65. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who form the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Of course, only one person can calm uh, wind and waves, and that's God. 
And obviously that's the main point of this story, isn't it? That Jesus is showing his followers that he is God. He can do the same things because he is the same person. Jesus is the awesome creator God, all-powerful, all-controlling. And that's why there's nothing better than having Jesus at our side. Now, he might not make life easy for us. He might not spare us at difficult times. But he's the Lord of the world, the Lord of the whole world. And that's why Christianity is so different, so special, so different from all the other religions of the world, because we're told we can know God, we can have a relationship with him, that he's with us. Those are Jesus' own words at the end of Matthew. Chapter 28 finishes with these. Behold, I am with you always. That's Jesus. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Through pain and through trouble, Jesus is with us. Through discouragement, sadness, Jesus is with us. Through frustration, Jesus is with us. He's everything we need. Now, I won't be too hard on the disciples, um, but we can't miss the fact that Jesus points out that their fear of what's going on around them is because their faith is weak. Their fear of what going on, what's going on around them is because their faith is weak. And um, I want us to finish with this point because I think I'm just like them. I'm just like them. Actually, I'm probably more fearful than they are. I do fear affliction in my family. I fear my children getting ill. One of my best friends... Um, his, his son um, has an awful illness um, that means he's going to learn to walk and then by the time he uh, leaves school he'll be in a wheelchair and then his, uh, it's estimated he'll probably only live till his mid-twenties. And I would fear if I got that news for my daughters. I fear getting to an age uh, in life and thinking, have I just wasted my time? Have I spent too much Uh, time and thought focusing on on work and perhaps not um, church, following Jesus, um, loving my family, spending time with friends. I fear sometimes making a stand for Jesus when I know it's going to lead to ridicule um, when I try and share with people what I think the Bible talks about when it talks about uh, marriage and um, things like that, saving sex for marriage. Things like that. It's difficult, and I fear it. When I was younger, I I, I was so fearful that Jesus would want me to be a missionary. Uh, I could never pray that God would do whatever um, he wanted with my life in case that's what he wanted. It took me a long time to be able to pray that. I'm fearful. I've got a weak faith. And, of course, strengthening faith is, uh, is kind of nothing to do with um, doing more, you know, doing more meditation courses or reading more books. No, strengthening faith is all about understanding and experiencing that Jesus himself is everything we need. And I want to uh, finish with um, something I found really helpful this week, which was uh, a note on this topic by John Piper, where he says this, Strange as it seems, one of the primary purposes of being shaken by suffering is to make our faith more unshakable. Faith is like muscle tissue. If you stress it to the limit, it gets stronger, not weaker. 
When your faith is threatened and tested and stretched to the breaking point, the result is a greater capacity to endure. God so values wholehearted faith that he will graciously take away everything that we might be tempted to rely on, even life itself, because his aim is that we grow deeper and stronger in our confidence that he himself will be everything we need. He wants us to be able to say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever.